0: Hello listeners, welcome back to Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries' Unity in Christ program. If this is your first time listening, my name is Christine Kim, and I am the host of this program. Lately, there have been a couple of words that has been lingering in my head, and it is to wait. Whatever the situation may be, it is never easy to wait. And to be honest, I have a very impatient personality. Even in a situation as little as cooking a cup of instant ramen noodles, where all you have to do is pour hot water into the cup, close the lid for a few minutes and wait, I cannot wait those few minutes and open and close the lid, and eventually, I'll start eating even before the noodles are fully cooked. Especially when I'm on the road driving, it is especially hard for me to sit in traffic or to wait at a restaurant for dining. However, waiting in situations such as these are nothing. Can't you agree that the long and treacherous moments of waiting are always a part of life of faith? To be more specific, like when we have to wait for God to answer our prayers, There are many times where God does answer our prayers at the time we wait and expect for, but I feel I've experienced situations in contrast to this more often. Don't you agree? I pray and wait for God to answer, but as I wait and wait, the situation is becoming worse and worse before my eyes, and the more I pray and the more I wait, I cannot hear or see what God's answer may be. Have you ever gone through a situation such as this before? There are many times where we cannot endure or tolerate the time in which we have to wait for our prayers to be answered. I have prayed to God before letting Him know that the situation is urgent, regardless of the fact that I know that He knows the situation better than me. The moment of God's silence, the moment of waiting, how do all of our listeners react during this time?
1: How dear, build my life upon all this world revere?s And wars to own, all I once thought gain, I have counted lost, spent and worthless now compared. Join my
0: As you grow in faith, you become keenly aware of the fact that there is a big difference between my time and God's time. Although Saul was anointed as king by God himself, you can still witness how he changes. During King Saul's second year of reign as king, he chooses 3,000 men of Israel to fight against the Philistines. All the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal, but there was something about the Philistines. It tells us in the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 13 that the Philistines gathered 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. How do you think the people of Israel felt seeing this before their eyes? They only had 3,000 men without any swords or shields. As anyone can see, this was not even a fight worth fighting. Even if they gave it their best, it was questionable as to if they would even defeat the Philistines. But instead of finding courage, they began to hide in fear. They hid in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and cisterns. Anywhere they could find, they hid. The battle has begun, but the people ran away in fear. It could be any moment now that the Philistines will come raging in. But during that time, I cannot even imagine how worried and scared Saul might have been. His last hope was to wait for Samuel. I don't think there was anything that could be done, but for Samuel to hurry up and come before the battle broke loose and to offer a burnt sacrifice up to the Lord, seeking for grace and mercy. But for some reason, Samuel does not show up. Even waiting for a whole seven days as he claimed, he still does not come. As little as the people of Israel were in number, they began to scatter away from Saul as they realized that Samuel is not coming. But during this time, what kind of decision does Saul choose to make? It tells us in the scriptures of 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 8-9. through 9. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Saul is not able to wait for Samuel, and he himself offers the burnt offering, an unlawful sacrifice. But as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, Samuel comes. Once arrived, Samuel began to rebuke Saul. King Saul responds by giving excuses. People began to doubt and leave me, and you, Samuel, did not arrive on the day you promised. Philistines' attack seemed imminent and I was afraid that they will invade Gilgal even before we ask for God's blessings. I had no choice but to offer sacrifices myself. His choice of words such as, I had no choice but to, or I could not help doing, resonates to me because I often use these expressions as well. In fact, I am quite guilty of giving excuses and justifying my own faults. Are there many times throughout our life of faith in which we face the same situations as Saul. No matter how long we wait for God's answers, we don't hear it nor see it. We may be in a situation where maybe an answer is needed today or even right that moment, but God holds his silence through it all. And the longer we wait, the more we become impatient and nervous. But during the situation, I would like to ask our listeners how you respond to the situation. What kinds of decisions do you choose to make? I would hope he wouldn't act as King Saul did.
2: If faith can move the mountains Let the mountains move We come with expectation Waiting here for you
0: Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Francis Chan of Cornerstone Church. Today's topic is Freedom Found in Faith, Part 1, based on the scriptures of Hebrews 11. I hope you have a blessed time as you join Pastor Francis.
3: You know, a lot of times we'll do something like this, like I'll introduce someone that's leaving our body to go to another part of the world to go and do something. And once you do so, we'll clap for them. Okay, well, we may stop by your booth. And then it's like, okay, let's move on to sermon time. And that's just kind of weird when you think about it, because the reality of this church is not about a sermon. Church is about us being a family, right? A bunch of believers in the sight of God were all his children, and now we have a part of our family that's moving away. Now, typically, when a part of the family moves away, that becomes the focal point. That becomes, wow, my daughter's going off to college, or she's she's moving you know, overseas somewhere. You know, let's just spend time loving on them, caring for them. And so, in a sense, I don't want to move on from, hey, Mike and Tip, you're leaving us. Let's get into a sermon now. Um, but in a lot of ways, I, I want this morning to be about making them the sermon and, uh, and looking at their lives and and praying for them and caring for them and, and learning from them. And that's why we brought them up here. You know, one of the things I've always appreciated about Mike is uh, ever since he, he came to know Jesus, it's been his heart. He's been so restless He's just like, i got to do something. He goes, if I can't be a missionary, I remember his words, he says, I'd rather die. I just want to get this message to the end of the earth somehow. This was so big to him. And and it was just this idea that he wanted to do something that made no sense unless there was a heaven. And that's what faith is. That, that's exactly what faith is. Faith is when you do something that makes absolutely no sense unless there's really life after this, this earth. And, and and I just watched him as he's tried to uh, he tried to first be a missionary and actually live in Papua New Guinea and things didn't quite work out. Then it was like, well, maybe God wants us to be in Peru to, to help Kevin and Jessica Oates and and maybe that would work. And that didn't quite. Maybe it's Uganda. I think. And and now finally, you know, it's like, okay, here it is. This one, the doors are all opening. Okay, so, so we're walking through this one. I'm gonna be a missionary pilot. And, uh, and that's such a rush to me, to, to just see someone just constantly trying and figure out what is God's, where does He want me? Last weekend I was in Ohio at Tony Hall's church, uh, where he pastors, and, uh, he was our worship pastor. He started a church in Ohio. In fact, last year this time, he was like hitting rock bottom. Like, what am I doing out here in Ohio? And, uh, just, Nothing was coming together like he thought it was going to, and now a year later, you know, I was there last weekend, and the place is just absolutely cranking. It's alive. There's a couple hundred people there, just worshiping God, excited. But I, I stayed with that guy Corey that uh, Mike was talking about. Corey, Corey and Megan, they were a part of our church. If you guys remember Megan, she used to be the receptionist here. But but Corey was telling me about uh, the first time he came to Cornerstone Church. And, uh, he came to the college ministry and, and he knew Mike. Mike and Corey were friends before either of them were Christians. And so Corey shows up at the church and Mike's there. And Corey's thinking, what in the world is Mike doing at church? And, uh, you know, and, and, and it's this whole thing of what? He's a Christian now and, and, and just because of their past lives and everything else, both just kind of blown away at the other person was there. Anyways, Corey now, he's going to go and he's going to be a mechanic for <laughs> missionary pilots. And so so now these two are going off and and one is going to be a mechanic, one is going to be a pilot, and they're going to work together and just serve the missionaries out in the field. And I thought, well, wow, that's so cool. You know, that, that here are a couple of guys that came to know the Lord, and now they're going to the ends of the earth to support the missionaries out there. But I, I, I love that idea. Same thing in Corey. They just both felt like, I, I gotta do something more. I mean, Corey left Simi Valley to go help plant this church in, uh, in, uh, in Ohio, and things are going wonderful now, and now he's going, man, you know what? There's something else. There's something more. Guys, do you ever, um do you ever feel that way? See, cause I, I, I know Mike, last couple of years, just been working a job here, and that restlessness just keeps bugging him. Where he's like, no, this isn't it. There's something more. I found a good job. I could settle down here, make life comfortable, everything else. But there's just something inside me that says, I know I'm serving God. I know I'm doing stuff. I know I'm not in this major sin. But there's something more I'm supposed to do here on this planet. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever, when you're alone, read the Bible. Look at what God's done through average people all throughout history. Amazing things. And you think to yourself, I know I've got more of a purpose here on this earth. There's something more I've got to do. Ever? You ever feel that way? You ever just think, oh, I know I'm destined for more. There's something else and I want to find it. And, and to me, it's such a rush when people do find it. I've, I've met some of you who say, gosh, you know, i was trying to figure out the ministry. And then I, I jumped into this and I just see this new life in you because you're going, okay, this is what I was created for. This is what I'm called to do. Man, I love it when people find that. And, and for some of you, you found it, and for others of you, I, I, I think sometimes you have these dreams, you have these aspirations that you believe God's put in your heart, and somehow something holds you back from that, and you never quite let go. And my prayer is that, uh, and I was praying all afternoon yesterday, that this weekend would be different and that some of you might just release whatever it is that's holding you back. And you just start pursuing whatever it is that God wants you to do while you're on this earth to take some steps of faith, to do some things that don't make any sense outside of heaven. Last week, a, a friend told me about this guy, and you're, it, you're not going to believe this story, okay? But so let me just tell you, right, because I didn't believe it when he told me. I had to look it up on the internet and so research it, everything else, because this was so far fetched. But it's true, okay? I was at my friend's birthday party. He's turning 35. And, uh, and he tells me about this other guy. He goes, you ever hear this guy, you know, named Dean Carnazis, on his 30th birthday, this guy Dean gets totally drunk. Okay? That's not hard to believe absolutely wasted, just, you know, he's pounding the beers, then he starts taking shots of tequila, and then he's just like on the verge of vomiting, this bar is right by his house, a few blocks away, so he stumbles back to his house, he sits down on the porch, just trying to keep himself from vomiting, just totally sick, thinks about his life, and he's like, man, look at me, I'm 30 years old. I'm working this eight to five corporate job. Is this all I wanted out of life? I'm totally wasted on and on and on just, just sitting there thinking, what is my life all about? And just felt like I gotta do something. I gotta make a change. Mind you, it's about 1 a.m. right now. He takes all of his clothes off, except for his underwear, keeps his underwear on and puts on his tennis shoes and just decides, I'm just gonna run. Okay I got to do something I'm just gonna. he hadn't run in 15 years he just had this crazy idea I'm 30 years old I just feel like running it's 1 in the morning doesn't matter I just feel like running he starts running and running and running he finally gets to the point where he's ready to collapse so he calls his wife to pick him up he had run 30 miles 30 miles, it was the next morning, the guy had run 30 miles, his wife comes, picks him up, he collapses in the car, and then when he wakes up, he thinks, I think I have a gift. (laughs) I I think I have this amazing ability to run, so he begins running. In fact, most recently, he ran 50 marathons in 50 days. He just accomplished 50 marathons in 50 days in 50 different states. Okay, this guy lives in San Francisco, and he started there, ran a marathon, jumped to another state, ran a marathon every day for 50 days. At the end of the 50 days, he ended up in New York and ran a marathon in New York. And then he thinks to himself, I still feel pretty good. So he runs home from New York. Okay, and this guy, I mean, you can read about him in these runner magazines. He he entered this, uh, they have this 199-mile relay race where you take 12 people and you you run the 199 miles. He figured, I don't need a team. (laughs) So he runs it by himself, and he's run that race six times now. His record for the most miles, he has a world record for, for running consecutive miles. He ran without stopping 350 miles. It took him, he went three days without sleep. To keep running 350 miles. This guy, what he does is he has a cell phone with him and he'll call and order a pizza. Seriously, no lie. And he'll ask him, don't cut it, don't cut it. just, just." And he, Hawaiian's his favorite. And then just meet me at this corner. He'll get the pizza, pay for it, and just keep running and eat a, a whole large pizza. Because he's got to keep eating. And he'll have donuts, whatever. I mean, you can eat anything if you're going to run 350 miles. It's just the craziest thought, but I, I I love that story because I don't know if the guy's a Christian. I don't know a whole lot about him. I, I know he can run, and and I, I I was just reading up on this guy, just nuts. But I love the fact that this guy just was tired of his life and said, "I'm just going to try something." I'm just going to run. I'm just going to throw my shoes on and I'm just going to start running. Maybe I'll try running. And he just went and did something. And the thing I love about the story is that is so different from what we do in church. It is so different, completely different from what Christians do. See, so often we'll feel a conviction, we'll feel a burden, we'll hear a message and we'll leave here so convicted, but rather than just throwing our shoes on and trying something, we'll sit and we'll talk about it. We'll sit and we'll think about it. And we'll discuss, yeah, that was a good message. Yeah, I think that was good. Or no, I don't think that was real good. I'm going to email him. I mean, that's what we do. We we sit and we evaluate and we think and we think and we think until eventually the conviction goes away, right? And we forget about it. We turn on the TV and suddenly your mind is in a whole different world and you forget the sermon. You sit in a movie theater for two hours and you're consumed by you know, some, some crazy plot and suddenly you forget about it. I mean, life just happens, right? You, you, you go home. You're going to go home today and something crazy is going to happen and you're just going to forget the message. And you move on. I mean, how often do we as believers just do something, anything, just because there's this restlessness of I've just heard something, I'm convicted by it, I need to just go out and do something. I mean, for example, uh, Joshua Walker gave a great message. I was listening to it on the, on the podcast, and I'm going, wow, what a great message. Then in my back of my head, I thought, but what's anyone going to actually do? I mean, he talked about individualism and how, how anti-biblical that is and how we're supposed to be like this family and, 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 and how God always wanted a, a people you know, where, where we, we actually care about each other and we display that to the world. But what did we do about that? He talked about materialism and that, that whole consumer mentality and that consumer pornography that we have in the house. And yet you know, what did we do about it? You see, did did anyone just, just go, you know what, Okay, I'm so convicted, I'm just going to do something, or did we just talk about it and think about it and sit there and try to figure out God's will, and I don't know what his will is, I think I'll just do nothing. See, sometimes we get paralyzed by this whole idea of the will of God. Like, okay, what is his perfect? Well, rather than like Mike, just go, well, I just got to do something. Let me try. Let me just go down this road. Maybe I'll go down this road. Maybe I'll go down that road. And let me just see. Let me try something. Let me just throw my shoes on and see. Because the reality is, is as you pursue God, there may come a time when you realize, well, I've got a gift. I've got this untapped potential. See, that's the the whole goal is that that one? at some point we go, wow, I, I had no idea. You know, I see Johnny Carl's there. He was visiting from uh, Colorado. Remember little Johnny? And, uh, Johnny, you know, I just remember a, a few years ago, he goes, man, let's just do something. Let's just, let's just film something. Let's just make a little DVD or something that we give to everyone in the world. You know, let's give them to everyone in Simi Valley. Let's just get the gospel to everyone in Simi Valley. And we, we just sat and we brought some people into his house and we just sat there brainstorming. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Because he's just like, I- I'm just restless. And uh, we came up with all these ideas. I go, no, why don't we give a message about the cross? Why don't we just, you know, I just want to explain the cross in a setting that's not in church. And and this whole idea of going to the beach and, uh, you know, and 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 just filming something. And then and we created this Stop and Think DVD that we were able to pass out to everyone in Simi Valley. And now uh, about a million people have seen it, you know, have, have heard the message of the cross. And now most recently, this this website asked the American Family Association asked if they could put it on their website that gets 115,000 hits a day, a day, you know, and just this whole thought, people in, was it Scotland or that, that asked, hey, can we put, just stop and think billboards up in Scotland and just have people watch it, you know, and as it's been translated into Farsi and everything else, we're going, wow, look at this thing. Why? All because, you know, one guy just sat and goes, let's just try something. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if it's going to take off and, and change the world, or it, it may just be for a few people, but we got to do something. We have to try something. Aren't you at a point in your life where you just go, you know what, let me just give it a shot? Or do you want to just go home today and go, oh, that was good, that was good. No, it wasn't. I didn't like this one point. I'm going to email I mean, that, that's just what we do. I mean, what are we doing with the messages I preached two weeks ago? You remember my message two weeks ago? Some people said that was the best message I've ever given. And what have we done since then? I mean, seriously, what have you done? I mean, you look and you go, okay, yeah, that is kind of convicting. I, I, I do. I'm, I'm so into this this milk and I I, I just want to be fed and, fed and fed and fed and fed and fed. Okay, but what did you do? Did you go home and say, you know what? It is about time that I walk in my own two feet. It is about time that I go and I take a step of faith and do something, try something. You guys, God has been teaching me so much about this. Because I I believe the worst thing we can do after a message is just sit and try to figure out God's will. Try to figure it out long enough until we lose our conviction. Because, I mean, think about it. Think about the parable of the talents. You remember the parable of the talents? Where the master gives his servants, you know, he gives one a certain amount of money, another a certain amount of money, another a certain amount. Of... First guy doubles his money, second guy doubles his money. A third guy decides to bury his gift in the sand because he doesn't want to lose it. And what happens when the master comes back? He looks at that third guy and you wicked, lazy servant! You didn't do anything. You just—I've given you this, and you just kind of went on with life as though it didn't exist. You just buried it and then gave it back to me at the end. He calls him wicked and lazy. See, I, I really believe it would have been better for that guy if he tried to invest what he was given and he lost it all. He goes, man, I gave it my best shot and I lost it all. See, that would have been better than burying it in the sand. At least he tried. <laughs> Guys, God has so been convicting me about this. And, it, and it's not, not just convicting, but freeing me up to this.
4: This is my Father's world And to my listening ears All nature sings And round me rings The music of the spheres This is my Father's world the speaks to me every
0: Heart Soul Gospel Ministry is looking for volunteers in tech editing to ensure the quality of the broadcast and the addition of more encouraging and empowering programs. Volunteer hours are three hours a week, and anyone who's had experience with computer before can participate. And don't worry if you're not familiar with the sound editing program, Heart and Soul will provide basic training in editing, so if anyone is interested in helping out our ministry, please contact us at 602. 602- Eight six six eight nine nine nine. Thank you. There are people who gave up their lives in honor of Christ who gave us our everlasting life. Continued is a story of the many people who endured their life with faith titled The Voice of the Martyrs.
5: Hello listeners, this is Rhonda Walker with The Voice of the Martyrs. People are afraid of death because no one knows what is after death. Neither can anyone tell you what he or she has seen after death, and it's not likely that you know anyone who came back from death. So people try to imagine what is after death. Some imagine that they will be born again as another creature, and others imagine they will become angels and live somewhere in space. Some conclude that death is simply the end of their existence. All of these imaginations remain to be theories and none are really true. Only Christians know what is after death because Christians know the person who has experienced death and came back from it. Who is this person? Yes, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus died and overcame death. Because he has experienced death and lived again, he can tell us what is after death, and his words are the only truth we know about death. Some people claim that they have died and come back to life. However, their experiences are often fragmented, and in most cases they cannot distinguish whether their memories of death were a dream or reality. But Jesus Christ is the Word of God, who was present with God when the world was created. He knows everything, including what is after death. In John chapter 5, verses 25 through 29, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. So, you see, all of humanity will hear Jesus' voice one day. Even believers in Jesus who have already died will one day hear His voice and be raised back to life again. Jesus declares that those who have done good deeds will rise and live again, while those who have done evil will be found guilty. Here, the action of good and evil is not of moral standards, but of faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is why, in the book of Revelation, Chapter 14, verse 13, we read, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, those who die as believers in the Lord are blessed. What about those who reject Christ and die as non-believers? Unfortunately, death is no longer a blessing, but a curse. People are afraid of death because nobody can confirm what is beyond death. Christians, however, know what is after death. After death, we will enjoy the blessings of the eternal relationship we have with Christ, who has freed us from our sin. In the 1970s, the Khmer Rouge, who were followers of the Communist Party of Kampuchea, dominated the country of Cambodia and slaughtered countless people, especially from 1975 to 1979 which is known as the Killing Fields era, because more than 1.7 million people lost their lives to the Khmer Rouge. As followers of communism, the Khmer Rouge considered religion as the opiate of the people and took actions to abolish Christianity and Christians. In 1978, Haim and his family lost their lives to the Khmer Rouge due to their faith. However, their story did not end there. Let's listen to their story.
6: I was a typical farmer in Cambodia, living with my parents, wife, and children. Although our lives were typical, we were not considered typical Cambodians. We were Christians, believing in Jesus Christ. Recently, Pol Pot's Khmer Rouge had been massacring people who stood against them. They were especially ruthless to Christians. As I heard stories of fellow Christians being slaughtered, I expected that my day was coming closer and closer. I prayed that I would take my turn calmly and confidently in the name of Jesus when that day came. Under the blazing sun, I saw a group of armed forces in black approaching our village. They must be Khmer Rouge soldiers, mostly teenagers. As they approached our village, they began to grab civilians. I heard screams and before I knew it, they had grabbed me too. My parents' wife and the rest of my family were tied up and brought to the execution ground called the Ville Somlap or the killing fields. There were big holes in the grounds filled with the odor of rotting bodies. Young soldiers in their teens called us Christians the old dandruff, the bad bloods, and the enemies of the glorious revolution. They ordered us to dig large graves where our own bodies would be buried. As we dug the holes, we prepared for our own death by praying for each other. Once the holes were ready, our family knelt down next to our pit to pray to God to receive our souls. I looked at the Khmer Rouge and pleaded, Repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. At that moment, My youngest son leapt to his feet in panic and bolted in the nearby brush. I convinced the Khmer Rouge not to go after him and to let me call to him. I looked at the forest that my youngest son hid into. What comparison, my son, I called out, stealing a few more days of life in the wilderness as a fugitive, wretched and alone, to joining your family here momentarily around this grave, but soon around the throne of God, free forever in paradise. After a moment of silence, my youngest one came out of the bush and walked towards me slowly, crying. I held him in my arms and he joined the rest of my family. I told the Khmer Rouge, now we are ready to go. But by this time, not one soldier wanted to raise the hoe to strike the back of our heads as they had planned. As they witnessed our calmness towards death, they must have felt something stronger than death. Eventually, the communist chief who had not witnessed these things, arrived on the scene to deliver the death blow. I believe firmly that even though our bodies would soon fall into the pit where we had dug, our soul would depart from our physical bodies to join the rest of our friends and our Lord Jesus Christ in heaven.
5: Haim and his family lost their lives on earth at the hands of the communist Khmer Rouge chief. However, they were not afraid because they were aware of what was after death. The world that fears death can never be worthy of people who are greater than death. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Revelation 14, verse 13. Blessed are the dead who die as believers in the Lord. We now conclude this week's episode of The Voice of the Martyrs.
0: Saul offered the burnt offering himself. It wasn't that he didn't wait for Samuel at all. He waited the whole seven days that Samuel appointed. However, as Samuel did not come within the given time frame, Saul was not able to wait any longer and offered an unlawful sacrifice. Samuel rebukes King Saul and says, You have done foolishly. And he continues to tell him that the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. Saul might have thought, Well, I've waited a whole seven days during this dangerous situation, so I think I've done the best I could. But we know that there is no justification that can be given for his actions. And we can say this because 99% obedience is still disobedience to God. He wants even that last 1% of obedience from us. If we cannot wait for God's timing, cannot wait for His promise to us and act before He does, then this ultimately leads to our actions of disobedience. We see that waiting is hard, but in reality, God has waited longer for us. Through our repeated acts of disobedience, He has waited patiently for us to come back to Him. Until the day He is glorified, He waits for us, and as He does, He continues to work in our lives, molding us and changing us to live as His children. Although God's answers to our prayers may be longer than we anticipate, I hope that all of our listeners may have the faith to wait patiently in obedience. We will now wrap up Unity in Christ. Thank you for listening as it has been my pleasure. I hope to see you this time next week, and God bless.